And turn, please, in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 12, rather 14, rather, Revelation 14, verses 12 and 13, again, from last week. We're going to cover those again this morning. This morning we continue our series, Strength for Today, Hope for Tomorrow, from Revelation 14, again, verse 12, this is the Word of God. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. And then join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we're so glad for your word that stands forever, that's true and that is certain. And the Father that gives us great strength and great hope is your people. So Father, this morning as we come to these verses that um, we hear a lot, we pray for your Spirit's help to grasp, Father, the hope that's there or the strength that's there for us as your people. Uh, That you might, by your Spirit, strengthen us in our walk with you. uh, And that you might receive the glory. So work, we pray, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It is one of the most popular songs in the world, to be sure. It was written 52 years ago. And yes, to be sure, in West Virginia, it's almost a hymn. In fact, on Saturdays when they gather in that stadium in Morgantown, um, they use it in that worship service. Uh, But how does a song with a title uh, about a little state, almost heaven, West Virginia, get translated within a decade into Finnish, German, Dutch, Danish, Italian, Greek, Slovenian, Czech, Romanian, Japanese, even Hindi. You know, why, if you went on Amazon today, and don't do that during the service, by the way, but if you did, you could, you could, you could download it by 500 or more different people. Um, and you know, sometimes the words are adapted, sometimes not. If you sing the Japanese version, you don't sing country roads, you sing concrete roads. Uh, because they lead to Tokyo. Uh, if you're in Jamaica, it's West Jamaica. If you're a St. Louis Blues hockey fan, it's just as it is for some reason. But anyway, uh, I'd like to think it's the words of West Virginia that make the song special, uh, but it's, it's not. It's more about the first two lines of the refrain uh, that helped it set the song apart. Uh, and those are the words, Country roads take me home to the place where I belong. And those that study such things uh, suggest that the, read, that the real power uh, line there is it taps into the longing that so many have for a place to belong. Uh, it, might be, it might be home where they're from. Uh, it might be some uh, place they want to go. It might be an idyllic place that, that really doesn't even exist. Uh, uh, but no matter what you're longing for, it's an acknowledgement that you're not there right now. Uh, you're not where you belong. You're somewhere else. You're out of place. And so as John writes, he is out of place. Keep in mind, he's a prisoner of the Roman government. He's on a small rocky island called Patmos in exile. And he's writing to people who uh, likewise increasingly feel they are exiles. People who do not fit in where they are, 
even if it's the town where they've lived their whole lives. See, finding acceptance in Christ, they found rejection from the world. So these are people who are seeking, searching, how do we live in this kind of a context? They're seeking for a place where they belong. So in a real sense, I think it would be fair to say uh, that Revelation is about our journey home as the people of God. It's about the challenges, it's about the difficulties, yes, the struggles, the risks, the joys, the hopes we have as we journey to a place we belong. Um, And John's giving us a series of God-given, rather bizarre images and, and pictures to guide that journey. Now remember, John started with a series of seven letters written to seven different churches in seven different cities, uh, to people that were being led astray, as we saw, by false teaching, people being seduced to an ungodly lifestyle, people struggling with commitment, uh, people battling persecution, poverty, workplace discrimination, or simply not fitting in. In other words, people face the same kind of problems we face today, and that's why Revelation is such a, 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 such a timely book. And as we go through the rest of the book, John will continue our journey into eternity with Jesus, to the new heavens and new earth, in reality to a place we've never really been, but we've only heard about. Uh, not unlike Abraham and Sarah's journey to a city not made with human hands. A journey along a variety of roads to the place where we belong. And if we listen, John has his own refrains that uh, sound out throughout the book. And our text this morning brings two of those together. Uh, The repeated word here is endurance. Uh, This will be the sixth time we see it. Uh, And it's paired with talk about commandments uh, and faith. Which points to the strength we need for today along with continually helping us look into eternity with Jesus, our hope for the ultimate tomorrow, what would be the place where we belong. So what perspective these verses give to us on our lives and the lives of our loved ones? Let's go to the text and see. First, just a brief primer on the connection between faith and works. The things we do that John's going to talk about here. Now let's be clear. Salvation... Our eternal relationship with God uh, is through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We observed the Reformation two weeks ago, and that's what it was all about. Uh, So how it works then, he's going to talk about fit in the picture. Salvation is the work of God for us. Faith is the gift of God to us. And then our works are our response to what God's done for us. Ephesians stresses, again, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. Uh, For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works, so no one could boast. But then Paul continues. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so works are a, a demonstration of our faith in God. They notice they're prepared by God. As we do them, we're walking in them. Our works are part of our daily activity. As James challenges us, I will show you my faith by my works. 
think one of the things the church is rebounding from today, and I cautiously and reluctantly say it, but it was an overemphasis on grace for a brief period of time a few years ago. And that's hard to say because in one sense, um, we cannot overestimate, uh, overemphasize grace. However, people are solely focused on grace. Sometimes they struggle with the idea of obedience and how works fit into the picture. So yes, we want to keep grace front and center. Grace gives the glory to God. Grace is amazing. It's uh, wonderful. It's marvelous. So what we need to see is that when we're talking about obedience and works, it's not the opposite of grace. Rather, our obedience, our works, reveal God's grace in us. The title of the old hymn does get it right. Trust and obey. So with that in mind, let's look at the call for endurance in verse 12. Here's a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. So who needs endurance? Well, we all do. An athlete needs it, the worker needs it for the job, husbands and wives need it for their marriage, friends need it for their relationships, you know, servers in restaurants need it for irritating customers. Uh, we all need endurance, and certainly we do for our walk with God. We need strength for that walk with Him in this world. Because see, in the days ahead, until Jesus returns, we're not looking for an escape, for a rapture, if you will, from this sin-plagued world, but rather enduring on our journey through this world in hope of what's to come in the new heavens and the new earth. So the saints, and that's all believers in Jesus Christ, we need endurance. Furthermore, we're identified as those here as what? As those who keep God's commandments and our faith. So when the world's falling apart around us, when persecution rises, make no mistake what God's calling us to. Both faith in Jesus and obedience. We could substitute the word holiness. We endure through faith in Jesus Christ and obedience to God's commandments, to God's word, what we call holiness, living God's way. Now make no mistake about the call to holiness and works. As human beings, we are workers. Uh, the task given in the, in, to Adam in the garden was to work the garden. We sang in the first hymn, let us labor for the master from the dawn till setting sun. So this is our vocational labor. Uh, it's also our serving Christ. We endure through our faith uh, in, in Christ. And we show it by enduring in our obedience to Christ. Or doing what God calls us to do. We endure through what some would call the habits of holiness. Things we do for the glory of God. And whatsoever we do to the glory of God, so it includes our daily work, includes being a student perhaps, includes loving our neighbors, as well as the things we might think of, reading our Bibles, praying, sharing our faith with others, worshiping with the people of God. What we need is, is uh, go back always to the title of Gene Peterson's book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Our lives are a journey. It's a journey of grace. Grace that saves us, grace that sustains us, grace that empowers us to be obedient. 
Because obedience is never about our strength. It's about the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and His power. And so, with grace, you know, we're freed. We're freed from the need to perform, to impress God. Uh, we're reminded that His love for us is, is constant, it's consistent, it's free, it's not earned, it's not deserved. Uh, saving grace makes us want to serve Him because we love Him. And if grace truly grips our hearts, we're going to want holiness. We're going to want to obey the Word because, well, the Word gives us His best way for us to live. We'll want to do what He's prepared for us to do, those works. Now, it's interesting that, you know, the 17 different publishers rejected Eugene Peterson's book along the same, in the same direction because primarily the title. They told him, one said, there's no niche in the market to talk about obedience. It's irrelevant to the concerns of the contemporary North American. One even said, who wants to purchase a book with the words long and obedience in the title? Uh, despite that, uh, number 18 made it a, a classic. To be sure, I guess it's one of the great blunders in the history of Christian publishing. Uh, and sadly, because talk of obedience, talk of works, talk of holiness... Nobody wants to go there, do they? Uh, Philip Yancey's analogy that he borrowed from a friend perhaps fits here. He describes a a busload of tourists who are on their way to the Grand Canyon. So they're going across the wheat fields of Kansas and through the mountains of Colorado, and and, uh, and the travelers inexplicably keep the, the shades drawn down on the bus so they can't see out. They're so intent on their ultimate de- uh, destination They don't ever bother to look outside. As a result, on the bus, they begin to argue about who has the best seat. And that's a seat in the back, I would guess. Uh, But uh, but, but they argue about who spends much time in the bathroom and all these different things. Now, what's he trying to say? Here are people only uh, who are on this bus to a wonderful destination uh, that's carrying them there. But they don't care about the world around them. And we should remember what Eugene Peterson's book does. What the Bible has to say about how to live during our journey uh, is far more than what the Bible has to say about our ultimate destination. So how we live, how we live must matter. Uh, But here we do find some information about our ultimate destination. Eternity with God. Eternity in the loving presence of God. And how our lives now really do matter uh, to God when we get to our ultimate destination. So let's look at the impact. First part of verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. All right, here we've seen, if he's told to write it, it's, it's, it's important. We need to remember this. Um, and he brings up a subject nobody likes to talk about. We don't want to talk about death. Uh, But it's a reminder. The journey on earth ends for everyone, even believers, uh, in death. Uh, The impact of of sin on this world brings death to all of us. And so we have the, the death of the saints here. 
But we're told that those who die in the Lord, those who die with their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is what that means, they're blessed in that dying in the Lord. Why is that? It's because death's not the end of the journey. It's the transition point in the journey. We're blessed because when we die in the Lord, we go to be with the Lord forever. Now, Winston Churchill is certainly one of history's most uh, intriguing characters, uh, one of the great heroes of World War II, if not the greatest hero. Uh, he was a, a believer in Jesus, and he planned his own funeral. And it was held at uh, St. Paul's Cathedral, that magnificent cathedral in London, uh, that, that evokes the, the idea of the glory of God when you see it. And uh, he picked the hymns to sing. They included, uh, Oh God, our help in ages past. Uh, the Battle of the Republic. Uh, John Bunyan's only hymn, He Who Would Valiant Be. Uh, they had the comforting liturgy of the Anglican Church, which is literally just taken from God's Word. It's the same liturgy the world heard at Queen Elizabeth's funeral. Uh, and he planned something that at the end, sort of a surprise. It was after the benediction... And a bugler was placed high on one side of the, uh, the dome, the huge dome over the cathedral, uh, and, and he played taps. You know, the universal uh, signal that the, the day's over. And there was a pause. And then a bugler on the other side played revelry, the military wake-up call. And what Churchill was communicating was that when life seems to end here, what? It begins there. And why could he say that? He could say that because he believed in Jesus Christ, who said, I'm the resurrection of the life, and he who believes in me, even though he were dead, what? Yet shall he live. Brothers and sisters, today we have the great blessed assurance that all of our loved ones, who truly could say, Jesus is mine, already entered into the eternal Sabbath of rest and undistracted enjoyment, glorification of God. And then there's more good news. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Now we talked last week about the relentless restlessness of those who in this life reject the love of God shown in Jesus Christ. So here the Holy Spirit speaks to affirm the blessing of rest given to the people of God in God's loving presence. So what's this rest all about? What are we resting from? Spirit says, blessed indeed, because we're resting from our labors. So what's that? And the idea is really, I want you to think more, it's all-encompassing in some ways. For, for instance, two years ago, Nancy Guthrie interviewed John Erickson Tata. Uh, as you know, she, since a diving accident in 1967, uh, Johnny, uh, when she was 17, has been a quadriplegic. In an interview, she has an interesting perspective of what she was looking forward to when she enters into the eternal comforting presence of Jesus. Here's what she said. She says, you look at me in this wheelchair, paralyzed for 52 years, and most people would think, oh, you're looking forward to your new body. And yeah... That's one of those fringe benefits. But I'm looking forward to a new heart. A heart free of manipulating others with precisely timed phrases. A heart free of fudging the truth. A heart free from hogging the spotlight, believe my own press releases. A heart free of not believing the best of others. 
a heart free of caving into fear or anxiety about the future. I can't wait to have a heart free from sin. It's one of the things we rest in. We're going to have a heart free from sin. You know, the Puritan William Tong put it when coming on this verse, he said, we rest from all our sin, our temptation, sorrow, persecution. And so, yes, we rest from mowing the grass, I hope, uh, or from going to work or serving in the nursery at church. Uh, but it's all those things. But it's a rest from all earth's challenges, all earth's struggles, all earth's failures. So today our loved ones who trusted in Christ, they enjoy that rest. Now there are going to be tasks for us to do in heaven to be sure, but they're not going to be laborious. So the question is, well, how do our works on earth follow us? See, here's why we talk about obedience. Here's why we talk about holiness. Here's why we talk about works. What we do in this life, our text says, has eternal consequences. What we do follows us. No, it's not about our salvation. Not at all. But it's in two ways. They follow us by their continued impact on the world in which we lived but also the rewards we receive from Jesus. So while what we've done for Jesus in this life has certainly been done imperfectly, it's been done with, without pure motives, God transforms those works, those deeds, that obedience, into sacrifices and offerings that are given to Him in eternity. I mean, we all know Isaiah's right. All our righteousness, all our best works are, are in a very real sense as filthy rags. And so to us, to the watching world, our works may not seem like much. Yet God takes those imperfect works and He perfects them for His glory. And in some way rewards us in eternity for what we do on earth. I mean, Paul tells us, 2 Corinthians, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So this brings the challenge of 1 Corinthians 15 to life. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, Always abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So what we do matters to God. Service, no matter how small, was seen by God. The world may not see it. The church may not see it. But friends, we do not serve. We do not obey. We are not holy to win the accolades of our family or our friends, our peers, or our enemies. It's only for God. He's the one that takes notice. So we're to keep on persevering in obedience on the road to holiness, no matter the challenges we face. You know, it's that reality that's kept uh, many a missionary going across the years. One of my heroes is Adam Judson. He was a missionary from New England. He went to Burma or Myanmar now in 1812. If you've never read his biography, I'd urge you to do it. Uh, Judson died there 38 years. Uh, later, in 1850, 
He suffered much for the cause of the gospel. He was imprisoned. He was tortured. He was kept in shackles. Um, his first wife, Anne, died not long after he was there. He was devoted to her. And, and, and for several months, he was so depressed, he just every day sat by her tomb. Even three years later, still grieving, he wrote, God is to me the great unknown. I believe in him, but I cannot find him. Yet his faith sustained him. He threw himself into the task, the works that God prepared for him to do, God called him to do. He spent 22 years translating the Bible into Burmese. Finally finished in 1834. Uh, and the statistics are unclear, but it seems that, that when he died, there were somewhere between 12 and 25 believers in Burma, professing Christians, no churches to speak of, 38 years of labor. A couple of years ago, a few years ago, they had the 150th anniversary of the translation of the Bible into the Burmese language. Paul Borthwick, I know in seminary, he was addressing a, a group that was uh, celebrating Judson's work. Just before he got up, he noticed in the small print when you opened the Bible there, uh, it had on the first page, uh, translated by Reverend A. Judson. So Borthwick went and turned to his interpreter, a Burmese man named Matthew, and he said, Matthew, what do you know of this man? And he said, Matthew began to weep. We know him. We know how he loved the Burmese people, how he suffered for the gospel because of us, out of love for us. He died a pauper but left the Bible for us. And when he died, there were few believers, but today there are over 600,000 of us. And every single one of us traces our spiritual heritage to one man, Adoniram Judson. Yet Adoniram Judson never saw it. He never saw it. But his works have followed him and impacted not only Burma, but millions of people who've heard his story. And certainly we know from the text his suffering, his faithfulness, his love, his works have been rewarded in eternity by God. Rewards I suspect he was surprised to receive. And that'll be the case for us. God gives us rewards in eternity based on how we live now. And we might be investing our lives in labors that, uh, for which we don't see much immediate return. But we do so trust in the God of all grace, who oversees our work, uh, will ensure that our labor is not in vain. For most of us, we're, not, uh, we're living ordinary lives in rather ordinary places. Chestnut Mountain's rather ordinary. Lula, Gainesville, Oakwood, Buford, I hate to tell you all, Flyer Branch, it's all pretty ordinary places to live. Uh, uh, but our labors are to faithfully love the people that God puts into our path. And we may never see the results, but God does, and He rewards that. And so we do so walking along country roads on the way to the place we belong. Pilgrims on a journey to the presence of Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth as we're going to see in the days ahead in our study of Revelation. So what about us? Friends, we've got to remember today we're, we're reaching out to a searching world. And people are really searching for a place to belong. Uh, and we've got a destination we can share with them. A destination they were created for because, because, uh, of, but because of sin they, they've lost their way to. Friends, in our world there's no way back to Eden. 
There's no way back to Mayberry. There's no way forward to a perfect worldly utopia. Friends, there's no eternal Babylon. And we can tell a searching, restless world that there's a place, a prepared place, Jesus says, for all who will rest in Jesus, who give up the striving, the battling, the struggle to earn eternity, and instead place their trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness for rebellion and trying to build a stairway to heaven. For acceptance and love instead of guilt and shame. That's why Jesus says, Come unto me all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke's easy, a burden's light. So friends, when we find rest in Him, rest for all eternity, the good news is that rest begins now. And God's Word guides us on how to live a life that rests in Jesus. No, it's not a lazy do-nothing life, but it's a life of love uh, and sacrifice and service uh, with a love for God and for His people that He's made. A life guided by the Word because, yes, our works matter to God. And the country roads we travel on have twists and turns, mountains and valleys, and they are along obedience in the same direction. But friends, we may not see the end of the road now, but I assure you, it's to a place where we belong. So this morning I would simply ask you, are you a fellow pilgrim? Or is your trust in Christ? If not, quit the struggle. Turn to Him for rest. Look to the cross of Christ to see His, His love and His forgiveness. And for us as believers, remember what we just sang. What reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with Him. There will rise to meet the Lord. There sin and death will be destroyed. And we will feast in endless joy when Christ is ours forevermore. Friends, that's why we sing hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the hope your word gives to us. For what's to be. Father, eternity with you. Uh, what tremendous hope we have as the people of God. Because of what Christ did at the cross. Because of your gift of salvation that we cannot earn, we cannot deserve. But Father, you give to all who will simply believe in Christ. Believe in his death on the cross. Rest in what Christ has done. And quit trying to do it on our own. So Father, we thank you for that. Father, somebody here that doesn't know the joy of that, Father, show them your Son today. Show them His love. Show them the cross. Draw them to that, we pray. And Father, remind us that you've called us to, to live in such a way, Lord, that we realize that what we do matters. Father, may, uh, may our deeds follow us, Father, in this life and in eternity, we pray. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.